Welcome to UCLA Extension's Business Insights with Roger Trenaden, where we highlight hot topics and underlying economic trends useful to you. Today, Roger talks about jobs and business recoveries. And please, don't forget to sign up for our free financial course where you will develop your own personal game plan. We are finally getting some rays of good news, albeit state by state with many local differences. I'll take good news any day, particularly considering how much we've all learned in the past several months. Since we've had approximately 200 enrollments in our no-fee course on the Panic of 2020, we are conducting the course more in the spirit of six intertwined online seminars with assignments but no homework submissions. We are in week one of the course, so it's not too late to enroll. Just go to www.uclaextension.edu and scroll to the bottom of the homepage. You can click on No Cost Educational Resources and then scroll down to the Panic of 2020, What's Next? Navigating Panics, Recessions, and Recoveries. Click on this course and take advantage of free enrollment and course access instructions. Today, I plan to briefly discuss these items as they relate to ultimate economic jobs and business recoveries. First, industries positioned to first recover and return to growth, including a few caveats. Secondly, changes in job prospects for the recovery and longer term that we see now. Number three, small business support and continuing recovery issues. Number four, what we've learned and can apply from past stock market recoveries. And finally, today's money creation and important implications during the recovery cycle. We'll start out overall across the United States. The Commerce Department reported that the gross domestic product, which is the broadest measure of economic health, fell at an annual rate of 5% in the first quarter a bigger decline in the 4.8% drop that was estimated a month or so earlier. It was the biggest quarterly decline since an 8.4% fall in the fourth quarter of 2008 during the depths of the financial crisis. Economists believe the lockdowns that shut down wide swaths of the economy and triggered the layoffs of tens of millions of workers will send the GDP sinking this quarter, second quarter, at an annual rate of about 40%. We mentioned that last week. That would be the biggest quarterly decline on records that go back all the way to 1947. It would be four times the size of the previous decline set back in 1958. Many forecasters believe growth will rebound sharply in the July-September quarter, with the Congressional Budget Office predicting GDP will rise at an annual rate of 21.5%. Still, that gain would not be nearly enough to make up for the economic output that was lost during the first and now the second quarter. Many economists worry that the positive GDP performance that I just forecast, I just repeated that they forecast, for the second half of the year may not come about at all if the current efforts to reopen the economy do not go well. So we have risk. All of the expectations assume no further shutdowns from a second or subsequent wave of COVID-19. I don't want to think about a scenario that returns us to lockdowns. That would be really ugly for a long time. Let's just agree that the numbers we see today are horrible and that a recovery is beginning. 
We can debate how bad the numbers are and how long the recovery will take, but we are entering a recovery phase, although the numbers won't show this for many more months. First, the industry's position to recover the fastest and some comments on the slowest. In California, the residential home market appears a candidate for a V-shaped recovery, or let's say a quick snapback. If anything, we have a housing shortage. This lack of overbuilding in recent years, plus a continuation of low mortgage rates, are effective stimulators. Banks and securitized mortgage lenders are also strongly supported today by the Federal Reserve policies. A negative is the high unemployment, but we'll discuss the unemployment trends that may delay first-time home buyers, but overall residential real estate may rebound strongly. This is likely not true for commercial real estate, as the government and the Federal Reserve seem to have so far ignored this market segment. The Federal Reserve has provided the CARES Act and aid to many small businesses, but not to real estate developers and not to large real estate holders or not even to smallholders who own part or all of strip shopping centers. Many small businesses, as well as large retailers, are vacating office space and storefronts. This is expected to pick up momentum as bankruptcies will not be reported completely or accurately for many more months. But you can put my expectation aside and let's look at some of the data. Overall, across the United States, the pending home sales, they call it the PHSI index, and it can be found at this website, www.n ar dot r e a l t o r forward slash pending hyphen home hyphen sales www.nar dot realtor forward slash pending hyphen home hyphen sales a forward indicator of home sales this index is based on contract signings and it fell almost 22 percent to a number of 69 in april Year-over-year contract signings shrank about 34%, and the index of 100 is equal to the level of contract activity in the year 2001. Pending home sales decreased in April, making two straight months of declines, according to the National Association of Realtors, and every region experienced a drop in month-to-month contract activity and a decline in year-to-year pending home sales. So these data will have an impact on reporting over the next couple of months. However, in the past week or so, real estate analysts are generally upgrading their outlook for the remainder of this year for the pace of home sales as well as home prices. U.S. home sale transactions are expected by one analyst to decline by only 11% for the year 2020, with the median home price actually projected to increase by 4%. In my opinion, Los Angeles County may lead the way for a California rebound, but a bit more time is required before going all in on residential optimism. Our health crisis has demonstrated that many jobs are lost, and that will impact the starter home area, but the job losses reported so far don't seem to outweigh the home shortage for the middle market and even a bit of the higher end. Although on the very high end, we can expect that foreign buyers, particularly China buyers, are going to pull back for a whole bunch of reasons you can imagine.
Our health crisis has demonstrated that many jobs don't need offices and that many retailers don't need so much brick and mortar and that smaller workforces will be necessary for financial sustainability reasons. So these trends seem to be well started and will have a really negative impact on our commercial real estate. Let's move to job prospects. The widespread job losses have left workers in an increasingly perilous bind. Under economic pressure to return to the labor force, Americans must compete for a fast-shrinking number of jobs, assisting offices, entering data, handling other responsibilities that can be predominantly executed from home. There is a growing number of openings in warehouses as major retailers such as Amazon expand their footprints, according to ZipRecruiter, but some of the greatest demand is for harder-to-get safe jobs requiring little or no face-to-face -face contact, including data entry, customer service, and other human resource tasks. These jobs are not necessarily the highest paying jobs, which is another issue. More than 40 million people, the equivalent of one out of every four American workers, has filed for unemployment benefits since the coronavirus pandemic grabbed hold in mid-March. That's only been about two and a half months. The government reported on Thursday an astounding tally that rallies the bleakest years of the Great Depression. The latest additions, namely the 2.1 million people who filed state unemployment claims this past week, may not be only a result of fresh layoffs, but also evidence that states are working their way through some of their backlog. I've heard from some in California, Connecticut, and New York that they are in a long wait just to apply for unemployment benefits, which suggests we do have a significant backlog that will make the future numbers look worse. The largest increases in initial claims for unemployment in the last week or so were in California, with almost 32,000 new unemployment claims, and Washington State, with close to 30,000 itself. And these numbers in California and Washington are not near a turnaround. One of the chief economists at the accounting firm Grant Thornton concluded in an interview that the state unemployment agencies are still in catch-up mode, and the lags between unemployment and the reporting of unemployment have been long. And again, I would just point out a lot of the part-time jobs, if not most of them, the ones that were lost, are very hard to track as most do not qualify for unemployment benefits and in other words, they are not reported. Women are more likely than men to face unemployment amid this pandemic due to the mix of job categories and job weightings themselves. For example, in New York, healthcare, social work, education services, retail and restaurants and bars reported some of the greatest job losses. A majority of the people employed in all these industries, except for the restaurant and bar, were women. According to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, women held roughly 77% of healthcare jobs, 78% of social work-related jobs, 63% of education jobs, 52% of retail jobs, and then 45% of jobs in the restaurant and bar industry in New York City. I don't have comparable data for California, but these job categories, in my view, are even more skewed toward these areas in California than in New York. The damage to our economy, really, in total, is coming in, and there's a data lag. There is a lot in the pipeline, and we'll find out a lot more, I think, bad news over the next month or so. But because it is in the pipeline and it won't be announced for a month or so, 
I'm optimistic that we are moving to a turnaround or to a recovery. Let's spend a minute on small business. I give the administration a lot of credit for quickly passing and implementing the CARES Act and related financial support for businesses. As we record this podcast, the House of Representatives has passed and the Senate will likely pass needed enhancements as many businesses were not borrowing. They weren't taking advantage of the CARES Act as they face and faced disqualifying close-down requirements state by state. I expect this issue to be worked out when this podcast is posted or by that time, but my concerns go beyond the federal government and the Federal Reserve financial support. Many businesses operating with a small profit margin or close to break-even cannot survive a 50% maximum gathering of customers. Pretty much all retail, restaurants, theaters, and other venues were designed, built, and operated with very high customer counts needed. The past three to four months have depleted many businesses financially, and a 50% occupancy guarantees many will not have adequate cash flows to make it through the year. More bailouts will likely happen, but that may not be adequate for the survival of many small businesses. We'll see, but the data will be lagging the reality. California, and more specifically Los Angeles, is well known for its small business importance, well known for healthcare, well known for entertainment, and Los Angeles in these areas may have a much longer recovery. We'll talk about that in the next podcast. Let's talk about the stock market for a few minutes. Historically, I would really advise everybody listening to maintain patience and caution with new stock market investments after this initial crash that we experienced. We in the U.S. have experienced 40 panics, crises, recessions, and depressions since our country was founded. Some of the worst ones have occurred in the past hundred or so years, and we have a great deal of data for the stock market, even during the 1918 Spanish flu, especially during the Great Depression, and of course, our really recent stock market meltdowns and recoveries like the 08-09 Great Recession. Here's what I think is reliable and credible expectation setting. Don't try to guess that we've seen the bottom of the stock market this year or next. Almost always, if not always, the stock market has multiple crashes during a cycle and multiple recoveries, and that's during and immediately after drops. Don't take my word for it. Check out this link to Morningstar, which is a major data collector with numerous highly qualified analysts. If you would go to www.morningstar.com forward slash features forward slash what hyphen prior hyphen market hyphen crashes hyphen can hyphen teach hyphen us hyphen in hyphen 2020. So more quickly, www.morningstar.com forward slash features forward slash what prior market crashes can teach us in 2020 with the hyphens I mentioned. Please look at the comprehensive chart embedded in this article. Look carefully at the chart of stock market drops and recoveries. You can see this for yourself. I'm not a certified futurist or a fortune teller, but I know that a 40% plus drop followed by a 20 or 30% increase may well occur before another large drop 
with another increase, followed by more of the same. And this uh, back in 1918 occurred. It occurred back in uh, 1907. It occurred in the Great Depression a number of times. I think just as people felt safe and the market had a big rebound, the market took even a bigger drop. During the Great Depression years, these drops were substantial after it appeared that rallies were in place. So just be careful. And in summary, it's not at all obvious that recent increases in stock prices will continue before another large drop occurs. What could bring on another large drop? In reality, no one really knows the reasons ahead of time, but I would consider these clear and present threats. One of them would be personal and business bankruptcies that are still in the pipeline and they can reach worrisome levels as the year goes on. Another would be the restrictions on use of capacity or group size. Many businesses will not be able to operate profitably and they may not be so quick to hire back past levels of employees. Another one may be the deteriorating China, Hong Kong, Iran, or any of many international possibilities. Another one could be problems with the U.S. dollar based on so much currency that we've created. Another pretty obvious one is election worries and continued domestic instability and polarization. I don't think anyone would argue that the international political parties are less polarized than they were six months ago or a year ago or two years ago. It's getting worse. This will have a real impact. It already has had. My advice is to assess your own needs for cash this year and don't add investment volatility to your list of concerns. Ask yourself if you're prepared to go through more up and down stock market moves this year. If not, move to cash at least a good part of what you would be concerned about and cut down your anxieties. The same goes for owning long-term bonds. I'm concerned that we'll see many defaults next year, even with all the Fed and government support. Don't let markets pump up your financial optimism. It could all disappear in a few days, and it normally has in past crises. The last item I want to comment on today is the creation of massive amounts of U.S. currency by the Federal Reserve and massive deficits by the U.S. government. Here's my overriding long-term concern. The Fed creation of many new trillions of dollars, coupled with the massive new outside multi-trillion dollar government deficits, will only add to our national debt and importantly to our ability to market future debt. We can only get away with this behavior because the dollar is the global reserve currency accounting for 70 or 80 percent of all trade and capital movements. As we see, Argentina can't get away with that, nor can any other country. And we may not be able to get away with that forever because no one in the past ever has. So we're good this year and maybe next, no matter what. But longer term, the very beginnings of a dollar crisis will rapidly drop the prices of U.S. bonds and stocks. I'll almost guarantee that no world leader today is giving this serious thought due to all the energy required in the day-to-day -day crisis fighting. Keep in mind, a dollar crisis does not actually have to occur to have an impact. The thought of a dollar crisis by large global investors is enough to have a severe impact. I'm covering items that are pretty complex, and they have a lot of neural diagrams and pathways. We're holding the podcasts trying to 15 to 20 minutes. I apologize for going a bit over but we do have a free course, and we're going to offer it again in July if you're not able to enroll now. We're in our first week now. 
I mentioned it at the beginning of the podcast, but if you go to www.uclaextension.edu, you can find the no-cost educational resource, the 2020 Panic, What's Next? Navigating Panics, Recessions, and Recoveries. If you wish to enroll and for some reason you're unable to, you can send me an email. Send me a direct email, rtornaden at uclaextension.edu. Ideally, my goal, as I mentioned before, is for each of you to form your own expectations and game plans. And to do this, you're going to be more comfortable when you have a base of information that we're providing in the podcast and in this free course. And as I mentioned before, the free course does not have homework. It has readings, it has videos, but it's intended to bring you up to the point where you can firsthand understand and appreciate what's going on and what the impact of what's going on with the Federal Reserve and the U.S. government will have ultimately on you. I would caution about listening to the 24 by 7 news cycle. Generally, the reporters uh, have don't have a really a background to do anything more than put a political spin on some of the press releases that the government makes. Trust me, if you will, you will feel much better understanding the foundations of what determines interest rates, the value of the dollar, the employment or unemployment, the federal debt, inflation, and the marketability of stocks and bonds. So our course is trying to fill many of these gaps as well as our podcasts. Thank you, and we'll see you again soon. Be sure to email us at rtornadin at uclaextension.edu on more specific questions, which we will answer either personally or select as part of our future podcast. Hosted by Business and Legal Programs Director Roger Tornadin. This podcast is presented by UCLA Extension and produced by Jamie Moss at Studio 10960. These podcasts are made for educational purposes and are not financial advice. The goal is to educate and provide resources on focused economic and job trends with the latest support research so that you can make more informed financial and career decisions that best suit your personal needs. UCLA Extension offers more than 5,000 online and in-classroom courses taught by over 2,000 leading practitioners to help you get from here to there. For more information on this podcast or our financial and legal programs, please check us out at www.uclaextension.edu. We know it's about your life, not just your money. 